If we don't keep the temperature from going above 1.5 degrees Celsius raised, then we're in real trouble. That whole generation is damned. I, I mean, that's not hyperbole. Uh-huh. Really, truly in trouble. The 2024 Republican presidential primary field is taking shape. The battle lines are becoming clearer, and so is the field of candidates. Is the odds on favorites if you look at the polling still Trump versus Biden? That seems to be it, but it's just way too early to tell. I'm more angry now and I'm more committed now than I ever was. Big challenge for these candidates is going to be how do they navigate Donald Trump? And, and how do they navigate Ron DeSantis? You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children. Well, welcome aboard to the third, third episode of the Ruthless Variety program this week. Fellas, it's been a busy one. Sure has, but, you know, if anything is deserving of a special episode, it's Hack Madness. Hopefully everyone enjoyed that special. If you haven't listened yet, go back, listen to it. If you haven't filled out your bracket, go to hackmadness.org, fill out your bracket. Let's get the game on the road. I got a feeling that there are a fair number of lib hacks potentially listening for the first time here. Yeah, yeah. If, if Twitter is any indication, a lot of lib hacks are mad at us today. They're very <laughs> angry. Yeah, a, a, a lot of... A lot of folks who are not mad at all. Ha, 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 yeah. ha, ha, 100% not angry. <laughs> like crying, <laughs> crying inside. For, for those new, new listeners, my name is Josh Holmes. Yeah. That's comfortably smug. Michael Duncan and John Ashbrook, we have a full complement of the cast here today. Uh, you'll get to know us a little over time. Give us a chance. We'll read your name <laughs> off as you've advanced throughout the rounds. And I guarantee you, with some of the most vocal ones on Twitter today, they're they're making a hard press to try they to might have punched they might have punched their ticket yeah you know it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy there now we don't we loathe to put a thumb on the scale here no on the variety program and we're certainly not going to talk about the ones that we think have been making significant moves because we don't we don't want to influence the voting mm-hmm. but there are people making moves 100 percent. and also along those lines it's important to mention that uh while hack madness goes on as is tradition we don't play King of the Hill because, like, that's right. We've got Jen Rubin's in there, Dowd's in there, and if we're out here, you know, showcasing some of their wildest takes, yeah, it's essentially just campaigning for them. It would be campaigning for them, and we we cannot do that. We operate a full tournament with integrity. That's right, and honesty, yeah. and, and just a bit of housekeeping there. So, if you're listening to this Thursday morning, voting is going to start on Smug's Twitter account around noon today. Yeah. Right? Correct. Correct. That is correct, and you can go to hackmadness.org. Fill out your bracket ahead of that. Fill out your bracket. We want to see them all there. Hey, put them on Twitter. If you're on Twitter, put them on there for everybody to see. Compare and contrast with some of our friends from across the country. It looks to me like everybody's very engaged this year. 100%. One of the guys who didn't make the bracket but was featured as the interviewer in that opening clip is Cal Penn of... Comedy Central. Mm -hmm. Oh, yes. So that was Joe Biden on Comedy Central saying that the temperature goes up (laughs) 1.5 degrees. We're all toast. (laughs) The same week, and I don't know, a lot of people on the listen to the show are familiar with Greta Thunberg. I heard about that. The same week that Greta Thunberg deleted a 2018 tweet saying that the world was going to end five years from now. (laughs) (laughs) So Joe Biden carrying Greta's banner on Comedy Central that is a very, very good way to continue your week. It is amazing how climate has just become a religion on the left. Like, you don't actually have to know facts. You just believe. Yeah. Well, it's going to come in five years. And then five years later, you just have to delete the tweet. Yeah. Keep the hustle going. Just keep it going, right? And never mind the fact that there are ebbs and flows 
of temperature. That's why they had to change it from global warming to climate change. Yeah. It's like, oh shit, the temperature went down. How are we going to get donations? No, it, but it, it doesn't it, look like Joe got the memo. He's still in the, in the warming <laughs> phase. It's like, uh, it, it's like Heaven's Gate. It's like the yeah. cult where they're going to have a doomsday that we're all going to die and they're all going to buy their white Nike sneakers. I was just going to say, that was the white Nikes, right? Yeah, the white Nikes. And Did I mean, they do like a Jonestown Kool-Aid deal or how did they Yeah, they did it all? something they're like that. like pudding that. or something. Yeah, I think it was. I think they crushed something it up like in that. pudding. They ate the pudding and they were wearing the white robes and the Nikes. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but in that case, they actually have the balls to go through with it and, and do it. Um, the liberals just use it as a facade to advance a far left-wing agenda tr- to transform our economy and our society. Well, and Lord knows we know that like establishment uh, Democrats don't really actually believe in any of it. Not any of it. Yeah, Not yeah, any like, of like it. Like John Kerry says that, like, oh my God, the world's going to be on fire, and then he just jumps right back on his private jet to Davos. <laughs> Bro, uh, <laughs> Barack Obama has like a multi-million dollar mansion yeah. right on the coast in Martha's Vineyard, yeah. and he's talking about rising sea levels? Go fuck yourself. Yeah. <laughs> God. He knows He knows how it's going. He yeah. knows. But he the knows. best part is with Obama, you kind of know he knows. You know he knows. With some of these guys like John Kerry, they try to really put the performance together. Yeah, but you know what? Actually, it's funny you say that. Because uh, I was on Netflix the other night. My, my, my three and a half year old like loves like nature programs and like seeing animals and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. There's this new like uh, National Parks show okay. on Netflix. All narrated by Barack Obama. What? Are you serious? Talking about rising sea levels and bullshit. He's, no. just, he's back on his old shit. Are you serious? Dead serious. He narrates the whole thing. It is obnoxious. He must have a foundation that needs some coin. Huh? Well, he's like on the board there now, right? At Netflix. Yeah. He's getting paid. <laughs> what a disaster. Yeah. We have a big show for you today. We have two guests as we did on Tuesday. Uh, we have Senator Joni Ernst in studio. You're going to really enjoy that. She provides her update uh, in terms of who she thinks is going to win Hack Madness. Wow. Uh, so we'll have to listen to that. She also walks us through the caucus system and how it works in Iowa mm-hmm. and what you need to look for and how it's important, how it's very different than almost any other caucus, but also obviously primary states. Um, and then, you know, Democrats, remember, they pulled out of Iowa altogether. Yeah. Because poor Joe didn't win the Iowa caucus in 2020. Yeah. Well, it was an absolute cluster, remember? I mean, yeah. like, they couldn't even figure out how to count the votes. They had these, it was like some sort of trumped up, like, Google sheet, and they couldn't yeah. figure out delegate counts. <laughs> Meanwhile, there's some, like, firm getting paid all this money to run the whole thing. Wasn't it, it the was, same fake news joint? It was, yeah. It was Tara McGowan. Yeah. Tara McGowan was, was associated <laughs> with this firm. And that firm's associated with Pete Buttigieg. Yeah. Who happened to win. Yeah. And they're, they're like, congratulations, Pete. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations, Pete. You were in Iowa. Yeah, well, anyway, she tells us all about that and the blowback of Democrats getting out of there and everything else. Very important interview. We also have Dave McCormick. You'll remember Dave. He was on the program back in the day uh, when he was running the primary against Dr. Oz for the Republican nomination for Senate in Pennsylvania. He's got a new book out. Very interesting. His life, uh, which, you know, I don't feel like got totally explored in that uh, primary is fascinating, right? I mean, this is like one of the first guys in first uh, troop regiments in during Desert Storm in 91. Goes from there to a life uh, both in an administration and then he creates this business career for himself that's like an incredible deal and now he's getting back into public service. He may or may not run. I don't know. We'll talk to, talk to him about that in the interview, so listen to that one too. 
Fellas, where do you want to start? Let's do a little o- overview on Hack Madness. Yeah, sure. So, uh, again, for our you know newer listeners, especially the journos, this is how it works. So, we have selected 65 of the biggest liberal hacks. Uh, there is one play-in game. Uh, there's four divisions. You've got the fake news. You've got the establishment division. You've got the liberal activists. And you've got the way-to-online division. Uh, all voting is going to be done on my Twitter account. I'm going to post it, right, like, like uh, uh, Duncan said, right around noon. And this is the people deciding. So, you know, whoever gets the most votes advances. To me, this is even better than the NCAA. You know, this is the real March Madness. I think it's harder, Yeah, frankly. 100%. You see the names on this list, very, very difficult, particularly in some of those 8-9 matchups. Yeah. Real hard to figure out who's going to get through there. And that's the thing. Funny you should mention that because McDaniel in the doc he added today, this great thing of science, according to scientists, the best way to win your March Madness pool is to start with the final four picks first. Uh-huh. And work your way backwards. They say by picking the top-seeded team from each region as the final four uh, contestants and then working backwards from there, you'll have a higher bracket score on average than by picking the winners of the first-round games and continuing in order. That's just nerd shit, though. If it'll win my pool, I'll, I'll do it. You're There's saying, nothing fun about that. You're saying, Smug, that you should start with the Final Four. Josh, you're saying you shouldn't. Well, I'm saying that if you put all one seeds in the final four you've really deprived yourself of a lot of fun of filling out the bracket in the first well place. it doesn't have to be the one seeds it can be whoever you think is going to win that division oh so, so it's not just because it made it sound you said by picking the top seeded team from each region no every winner of the region yeah I guess, so you yeah. pick who you think is going to win the region oh god and then work your way back okay no i get that that's a strategy yeah yeah that's I, a strategy i'm, I'm, I'm just for sure i'm actually stunned here that smug who relies on intuition and magic <laughs> and now has some sort of quantitative formula for how he's going to fill out his back. But here's the thing. I assumed you just threw darts at the wall. This is this is magic in action because picking those four <laughs> is 100% intuition and magic. It is intuition and magic. And I've seen more than one picked entirely of mascots winning a pool before. Yeah, that's, that always happens. And we've always got happens. plenty of mascots uh, right here on our <laughs> yeah. Madness list. Uh, and, and we're not talking about favorites here. We're not trying to put a thumb on the scale. There is a one seed whose name I will not mention, whose parents have paid for everything in his life. <laughs> and confident will probably stand up some sort of a bot army to help him get uh, past the Sweet 16. I'm not convinced it's going to work. There aren't very many people who know who he is, unless you're online. Mm-hmm. And um, But I he's won't, richly earned he has richly earned his one seed. Yeah, he sure has. It's possible he could get there. He was very outspoken this morning about being a number one seed. I just, I'm not I don't angry, think guys. I swear I'm not angry, guys. <laughs> I, I don't think it's enough. I, I really don't. He's in a tough. He's in a very, very tough region. It's a very tough region, and you know the chances of look. We have a two-time defending champion mm-hmm. in Jennifer Rubin. She is a dynasty, if there ever was one. We've had. The previous three, she's been in the finals of all three, one, two of the three. Um, very difficult to see her being eliminated early in this thing. Somebody's going to have to go through Ruben at some point. Yeah, that's that's the story. No, she's a powerhouse for a reason. It really, I, I, she, I really think she's going to three-peat. Yeah, it, it would be a story uh, beyond all stories, no question about it. Fellas, let's do some five stars and then get into the mix here. Uh, let's go to The Voice. Okay, this one is from DC Berg Hound, um, and it's titled "So Good We Have to Fast." Very interesting. 
My husband and I have been listeners since episode one, and we want to say your in-depth coverage and debate of the January 6th video release was beyond fair, balanced, and excellent. It was thoughtful and therapeutic. Such opening, such open dialogue you would have never heard anywhere else. We listened to your show religiously to the point where we have sacrificially given it up during Lent. Amazing. <laughs> don't do that. Good <laughs> Lord. Well, she goes on. But don't worry. We binge listen on Sunday. Oh, I forget the cheat day. Yeah, nice. Please keep up the Festivus and more soundboard. Liar racist. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Well, and look, I appreciate it. And I think a lot of different people have different takeaways from these debates. What we like to do on the Ruthless Variety program is give you context and different opinions that we have within the Republican Party because we're sitting in different places around this table within the Republican Party. Yep. And we've bet, we believe since the beginning of this program that we're not going to be one of those things that tell you exactly what you want to hear all day, every day. You may agree with us 90% of the time, but our mission isn't to try to not piss you off. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like it's <laughs> Never just, has been. <laughs> it's just not. Like, we actually don't give a shit. We think if you're a little bit pissed off sometimes, that's probably good because you're thinking about it. Yep. Which is more than you're getting out of your average show. 100%. Right? So that's what we're trying to do there. Uh, and we'll continue doing it as it comes along. Uh, Smug, you want the next one? Sure. This is from South Carolina Minion. Ruthless in the great state of South Carolina. Ruthless brings some much-needed levity to this country in the midst of our government seemingly being determined to make life worse for the American people. As a loyal smug Twitter follower since 2016, oh, wow, go. thank you, I was psyched to finally find out what one of my favorite accounts sounded like in real life. Turns out this has become my favorite podcast, and I'm proud to say I've been a loyal listener since the program's debut show in October of 2024. Yeah! Wow. Nice! Hell yeah! Amazing. Uh, my favorite time to listen is on my evening walks after work in the beautiful red state of South Carolina. There you go. Good Been spot. caught several times in bursting out laughter at the guys <laughs> making fun of libs or just talking about the latest insane takes the Dems have. Hearing Holmes accidentally call Mayor Pete Poot and learning about <laughs> Sherry Jacobus's feral cat obsession had me in stitches. <laughs> also, it seems like King of the Hill should be more aptly renamed Queen of the Hill in yeah. a tribute to Jen Rubin. Yeah. yeah. No one drops more nuclear t- takes than the Queen herself. One more thing. Now that you've had Nikki Haley on, I think it's high time you finally pay a visit to the great state of South Carolina. Thanks for making such an awesome show. Keep holding the line. It's a great point. We will. I, I mean, I'm going to say it right now. I will. I think the whole show will. We're going to get down to South Carolina. Yeah. We've got a primary down there. And I love any excuse to get down. No, there. I love it's the wonderful. place. I love the place. That's a great suggestion. Can I just make before we get to our next one? I'm uh-huh. Poot, um, Poot. Yeah. So um, every year, <clears throat> the. National Press Corps has this uh, sort of foiree that they call the Gridiron Dinner. Mm-hmm. And basically the whole thing, it's no TV, no cameras, no phone recordings. Like, it's a real hard band, and they're all journos in the room. So, like, you know, actually people are going to follow it because, like, if they're not the ones leaking, who does? Uh, but the whole point of it is is to roast the other side and yourselves. And journos do it, the the... Republican speaker does it, the Democratic speaker. Everybody kind of laughs, and it's like a moment where you have some levity. You know, I imagine your average person out in the country, they'd look at it and think it's completely ridiculous, and they're entirely right for thinking that. But in doing that, Pence roasted Poot. No kidding. Yeah, oh, yeah. He roasted Poot. Like, killed him on the taking paternity leave while we're having a, you know, a supply chain crisis and all this stuff. 
Well, like a million people got hit in everybody's speeches. And then for the it's since the dinner, there's nothing but outrage from Poot and from uh, from Chasen about how outraged they are that he would make fun of paternity oh leave. It's funny. Nobody else is whining. Nobody. About, about a joke being cracked about them. Nobody else is whining. These guys are taking it to TV. Yeah. Chasen is going to be on The View today yeah. to whine on serious? national television yes. about a joke about Mayor Pete at a dinner last Saturday like, night. If you were wondering why comedy is dead, that's right. it's because people like this. It's a goddamn roast. Right. If you're taking offense at a roast, like you missed the whole point. Yeah. And it, it totally, and I will say this, the people who put on the skits, they tried hard. There's the Republican stuff, uh, pretty funny. I laughed pretty, pretty hard at it. They couldn't make jokes about Democrats, and I think the reason that they couldn't is basically what we're seeing here. Yeah. Like, they know that if they do anything that cuts a little deeply. That, that is so like, pathetic. Yeah. That is so pathetic. Yeah. How are you going to get in and try to, like, win a, a, a campaign to be president of this country when you're that soft? I, I just— I like, He can't, I, literally can't take a joke. Mm-mm. Can you imagine well, snatching the opportunity to be victimized by a roast? Pathetic. I mean, unbelievable. <laughs> All right, we always leave these ones for the old man. No, I can't do this. You one. have to do it. I can't do this one, and this is the reason why. Not because I'll cry, because, you we, know, the you, sad ones are tough for me to do. It's because I have an objection for our producer, McDaniel, who procures these five stars. Last week, I was not on the program. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I listened to the Thursday episode last week, and I listened to it like late at night. I'd had a few pops, yeah, and I listened to you guys doing the five stars, and I you still know, still started crying. No, I fa- I you know I found a five star that that is not included on here but needs to be read. Okay. Oh, so you're saying that he selectively omits good five stars? He, this one is titled Duncan from the program. Uh, the 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 title is Program Runs on Duncan. Oh my oh, God! Here okay, go. he's doing no, his Ashbrook here. Hold on, we need, we need a verification. The this pro- is from Indy. No, you guys are going to appreciate this. Okay, all right. The program is great, but even better when Duncan is on. <laughs> also, this is Duncan. Signed, Duncan. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote. I wrote a five star review. That's so good. When I was uh, a little, little drunk. <laughs> Cause I, just because I missed my friends. Oh, that's so good. And he didn't include it. <laughs> well, that's outrageous. We missed you too, pal. Yeah. We really did you miss you. Ashbrook, you, sh- you should take this one, though. We should definitely read this one. This is a great one. Yeah. Ashbrook should read it. We want the voice. Okay. This is from Wally, and uh, it's titled Multiple Reasons to Listen. Fellas, I've been with the program since the very first episode. A Minnesota native there raised... You go. Raised in Butler County, Ohio, which is a stone's throw from Indiana. This is really covering all the bases. Yeah, he is. A staunch conservative, I represent a combination of all three hosts, as well as the social media intern, Smug. (laughs) (laughs) Solid. I just love it when when they bust our balls on these things. I mean, it is is just, they they really get the show. That's so good. Wally goes on to say, I recommend the program to one of my brothers recently. He worked as a uh, medevac pilot out west, and so our schedules didn't always allow us to have regular contact. But when we did, I was able to talk with him about the latest goings-on with the fellas, including politics and, of course, the animal news. Nice. We laughed together and deeply appreciated what you guys have put together. 
We unfortunately lost my brother recently when the plane he was piloting during a rescue mission suffered a catastrophic failure and crashed. Smug has a laugh that is remarkably close to and just as contagious as my brother's. Mm, Man, that's... You already had a listener for as long as the program exists, but now I'm listening also to get a little reminder of my brother. Keep the laughs coming, fellas. I need them. Keep the faith. Hold the line and own the libs, gentlemen. Wow, what wow. a stud, man. Amazing. Thank you so much for that. Wally, that is just absolutely terrific. We really appreciate that. Keeps us going. No question about it. Um, all right. Now, as we compose ourselves here for the rest of the program, um, let's just touch on this bank meltdown situation. We talked about it on Tuesday, and I think we did a pretty good job of providing an overview of how there's texture to all of this right it's Mm -hmm. not that you just have woke banks and it's not that you just have totally mismanaged situations although we have that Mm -hmm. that it there's a bunch of stuff going on and you're probably reading today about credit suisse which um is really having a big problem smug what's your what's your overview here so i'm going to start with a a cnbc's article it says credit suisse shares tank over 30 percent after saudi backer rules out further assistance it says shares of embattled bank credit suisse hit another all-time low for a second consecutive day it's down like a buck uh credit suisse's biggest backer saudi national bank has said it won't provide further financial help for the bank speaking to cnbc's hadley gamble during a panel session in riyadh saudi arabia on a wednesday morning Credit Suisse chairman Axel Lehman decided, uh, uh, declined to comment on whether his firm would need any sort of government assistance in the future. Um, so that's what it sounds It sounds like this particular bank is over, overly reliant on the Saudis who have lost interest in providing further assistance. Yeah, it's never a good situation when your job as a money-making machine, you become reliant on other people to provide money right? to keep yeah. It's like... <laughs> How did you mess this up? Guys? What is it you say you do here? <laughs> well, this is the big problem, and I think this is like the overview. And believe me, I'm the last guy to be against banking and against, you know, I, I'm all for a free market. But at some level, it ceases to become free market when fractional lending is only as good as using your money to make other people money right up until stuff sort of dries up. Right. And then the deposits are left holding the bag, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And that, that's the issue that we're dealing with here is that you've got, I mean, the way this works, and I, most people understand when you're listening to this, you put a deposit into a bank and your money is there in numbers, and then they use the money to actually loan it out to other people and with a certain percentage on return, and it comes back and things work until you get some kind of a recession. The issue is you always want to be capitalized enough where if you have some kind of a recession or downturn, that people still have access or at least the the understanding that their money is there if they need it in 08 we saw that was not the case mm-hmm. right where you had a whole bunch of banks and institutions across this country holding on to toxic assets mortgage-backed securities that were chopped up into a million pieces and basically worthless um when the housing market crashed well we don't have that here right 100 well, we, that's and i think that's very important for folks to realize is this is not a toxic assets Something is going to blow up on the books of the banks. This is not like, oh, wait, and how it's going. No, it, it, it's basically a, a mismanagement at some level of what this bank was using, what these banks were using to become capitalized enough in their lending. And look, I don't think it's any less problematic. In fact, in some ways, I think it's even worse because you, you, you probably couldn't foresee 
the relatively new instruments in 08 all of a sudden diving off the end of a cliff and becoming a, a institutional hazard for the entire country. Like, that was probably not foreseeable. This kind of feels foreseeable to me, guys. You know, when you're dealing with a government that's pumping $3.5 trillion into an economy that's actually working, right. you're going to overheat, you're going to have inflation, you're going to raise interest rates. The T-bills and things that you're using at a low rate are not going to be holding the same kind of value that you need to offset your your lending at some point. I mean, is it really that simple, Smug? Like, there's got to be something else happening. I think so. You know, reputationally, Credit Suisse has had issues for a while now. Yeah, this like, isn't just a thing that happened now. Credit Suisse for you know a number of years has kind of been kind of like the ugly stepchild bank in Europe of where people are like, okay. We know these folks really don't know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> and it's finally caught up to them. Um, along those lines, uh, in, in terms of SVB, there's been some really hilarious reporting which came out. Uh, this is from the New York Times has had this story. CNBC has had this story. Um, describing the last days of SVB, of what that was like. <laughs> you can only imagine these libs running around. This, so this is even funnier. So it says, uh, this is the role that Goldman Sachs played in the final days of Silicon Valley Bank. So according to a new filing, it shows that what the original problem for SVB is they needed to free up some cash, right? So they have these assets on the book that they're like, okay, we're willing to sell. At a discount. Free up cash, we'll yeah. even at a discount. And so uh, Goldman agrees to buy those assets. They see SVB's in trouble and they're like, okay, yeah, we'll give you. Fire sale. So, <laughs> yeah. so they gave. They're them, always there in a yeah. pinch. Yeah. They purchased the assets from SVB at Based $2 billion less than what SVB had them Jeez. valued at. <laughs> and then uh, SVB is like, well, we got to get that $2 billion from somewhere. And Goldman says, well, here's what we'll do. We'll help you raise some capital, right? Uh, that capital raise failed. And that's what led to the whole run on the bank. And so they bought the shit from them for $2 billion less. Correct. And they're like, yeah, but we need the $2 billion. And they're like, no, ah! no, no, no. So, so, so. They, they have a $2 billion hole in their books. And then Goldman says, oh, we'll help you fund, we'll raise capital, help you raise capital to fill that $2 billion hole. Allegedly kind of a bait and switch. Yeah. Like we're going to get the discount and then we're not going to provide on the other side the cash infusion you need. And so the the, the, the raising of the capital fails, but Goldman is still going to pocket $100 right, million. Right. They still have the thing. <laughs> offering, and they're sitting on the assets. And now all the depositors leaving SVB can come on over and give their money to Come Goldman. on. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Come on! You can't make this shit up, dude. If that's real, that is. It's just... It was. It was. It was reporting in Dealbook. Uh, this. This. I mean, it's very, very well reported. I mean, it's that kind of shit that just drives you nuts, yeah. though, right? Well, I don't know why anybody would be surprised. Remember what happened in 08. Oh when yeah, they were no. trying to flip all those toxic assets off their books. Yeah. So then they could finally come clean and be like, "Oh, we're in trouble too," but we got a lot off our books to retail investors. I mean, just. <laughs> Oh, God, I hate the banking industry so much. <laughs> I fucking hate it. I hate it. I mean, it, gen it genuinely is amazing. And then you'll ask questions about, well, you don't understand it. It's, uh, what yeah. it works is it's, it's uh, you got to do this. Like, oh, no, it's it. much more complicated. No, they oh, complicated. They, <laughs> it's just like any industry. Politics has this as well, where you, you there's terms that are used. There's a gatekeeping to it yep. that's used through language that makes you feel stupid. Right. When in fact, a lot of this is very, very, very simple. But Super they want to make you think they're the only people that can do it. Yeah. And that is pervasive in the banking industry, just like politics. Well, and it's so it's so funny you say that. I've always said the finance industry 
never has a problem until Michael Lewis dumbs it down for the rest of the country, <laughs> right? As soon as you take point. it out of the acronyms and then you get like an author or somebody who's like, hey, this is a really shitty story. Let me tell you about it in the way that humans speak. Then everybody's like, no, come on. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just a great point. It's just a very complicated, trumped up casino. And, and you know what? So, speaking of Michael Lewis, you know, uh, he wrote this incredible book about his time in finance called Liar's Poker. Yeah, it's a great book. <laughs> Highly recommend anyone who has not given her a read or who has. That might be a good time. Give it another read. It's good, yeah. good, good book to read. Really, really good. I mean, he, he's, he has a way of doing everything from baseball to finance in a way that's not only readable, but like, I mean, the stuff that's happening in broad daylight, you wouldn't know. Yeah, eye-opening. Until he does. And so anyway, that's, that's the banking situation for now. Uh, we'll check back again next week. You guys want some animal news? Yes. Always. So, we, you know, we've been talking about cocaine bear. <laughs> Have you guys seen that yet, by the way? I So I think what I'm going to do is wait until you can rent it at home or whatever. I've I think kinda... that's what I have to do just because I got kids, man. There's a, if I have a night that I can get out, I'm not going to a fucking movie. Well, in the idea that you're going to you're gonna walk into that with a sunk cost of a babysitter and a dinner to watch Cocaine Bear. Look, I think it's going to be great. Do but you? is it going to be worth... No. Is it going to be worth the headache to get all that lined up? I mean, up? it's going to be awesome. Yeah. But it would be awesome if I was sitting here right now watching it with you fellas. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that it's like me and my wife sitting front row with <laughs> cocaine bear. Not appointment viewing. No. <laughs> no, you, and you have to be shit-faced. There's no yeah. other way to get through it. Well, anyway, the reason for that whole preamble is, uh, according to NBC News, a wild cat was found with cocaine in its system. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about, like, one of the worst animals you'd want on cocaine. Yeah, well, now it's going to the Cincinnati Zoo, Smash. Wow. You've taken in drug addicts everywhere. Uh, uh, so it was a serval cat. It says a serval cat. It was a serval cat. An African it, I was just trying cat. to figure, is that an African serval cat? These things are incredible. Yeah. Well, this is not a house cat. Explain this to well, me. Well, a serval cat, and, and, and they're very popular online that people like to try to domesticate them. But they are, I mean, these are wild cats, not small. You know, it's, it's like a leopard, nah, smaller than a leopard. Uh, I, I would compare it more to like a cheetah, like very, very it's light like the size of a dog. Yeah, it's the size of a dog. Very, very long, le- like a very lean cat. Sounds like a, almost like a mountain lion. It sounds deadly. It is very, it is. it's very, a horrible idea to try to have this. Yeah, but like you're going to have a viewer who's going to write a review and be like, smug, you don't know shit. But you I have servals. <laughs> I enjoy having goddamn lions running around. <laughs> <laughs> like, who does that? But it's I mean, like it's the sort. Seri- it's a serious animal. It's the sort of thing. Like, if you're on Instagram, you see like some reel from some shake in the Middle East. They've yeah, got like okay. a domesticated serval. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's uh, okay. literally the example I was going to bring up. Is like you see these videos. Well, people will throw steaks to these things and they'll house them. Oh, dude, you can't do. That. <laughs> I mean, you're just bound. It's not. A, it's not. You know, a fancy feast type of kitty. No, <laughs> no, they, no, they eat the shit. This they, is not a lap cat. They're taking T-bones. Yeah. So, uh, an African serval cat was found with cocaine in its system after an escape at a traffic stop. Mm. It will now call the Cincinnati Zoo home. I'm interested to hear more about this. The wildcat story is trended online in the wake of the release of the film Cocaine Bear, a horror comedy. We covered all of that. Uh, the fellas, uh, or the feline, made an escape after its owner was pulled over by police on January 28th, <laughs> according to the local animal official uh, control. It leapt uh, from the car into a tree. Holy yeah. shit! It yeah. ditched the car when the cops rolled up. Yeah, so it's like <laughs> it's just everything we've been talking about. This thing's yeah. an athlete. 
<clears throat> Ray Anderson of Cincinnati Animal Care said the local animal control Hamilton County dog wardens, yeah, they didn't know what they were getting. <laughs> were called around 2 a.m. in a residential Oakley neighborhood. Are you familiar with all these places? I, I certainly am. Oakley is a great neighborhood in the Cincinnati area. So in Ohio, it's uh, illegal to own these animals, which can weigh up to 40 pounds. Yeah, you're right, dog size. Uh, during the rescue mission, the cat named Amory, Amory, broke its leg and became more agitated. <laughs> <laughs> Once Amory was taken into medical care by the Cincinnati Animal Care, uh, the team ran a drug test, which they determined Amory had cocaine in the system. It's not the first time that the Cincinnati Animal Care, which has been operating as the county's animal shelter, has had a wild animal test positive for drugs. Oh my God. In 2022, the group took in a capuchin monkey. We covered this on the program. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, this one had the methamphetamines in the system. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Neo. That that's right. And this is the yeah. This is the guy where we were we we're trying to figure out if Neo Neo is actually the perpetrator. Yeah, right. maybe the drug kingpin. Right. Yeah, because the guy didn't look like he could run much of anything. No. And, well, and, yeah. and, and, and wasn't that the monkey in the zoo? Was that the monkey in the zoo? No, that was in Texas where the monkey was freeing. You know, but because they're saying that this cat's now going to the zoo. Yeah, but but he's probably looking for mules. But well, yeah, this well, thing's this thing's going to be a disaster. I think this is a real vulnerability of our friend John Ashbrook. This man has been talking about the uprising of animals, and he's got a problem in his own house no, there no, in no, Cincinnati. No, 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 no. Let me, Maybe let me explain. Cincinnati doesn't have bear no. cats; they're just coked up servals. Yeah, <laughs> dude, I'm looking at the picture of this serval. It looks like a like a cheetah. Yeah, that's it's, what I'm saying. It's, it's like a cheetah-sized animal. Let me just tell you. Let me let me just let me just remind uh, listeners something about the Cincinnati Zoo. They are perfectly capable of handling these monsters. Is is that where perfectly capable? And this is a zoo that balances people and animals better than any other zoo. Is this, this it took this out Harambe? Yeah, exactly. When a child was held in the arms of a monster gorilla, the zoo made the call to take out the gorilla. Was that the Cincinnati this Zoo? This is the Cincinnati Zoo. Because they put people ahead of animals. <laughs> they, they take care of the animals, but they're not going to let the animals take over. They took down Think poor of Harambe. all the, like, it was like Pandora's box shooting that damn gorilla. Yeah. It was like COVID rolled up. Dude, everybody in, the world, everybody in the world was like, oh, I'm sorry, that kid's life didn't matter. We should have let the gorilla do what it wanted because the kid went through the bars. Get out of town. I the think- Cincinnati Zoo made the call. There's a guy who runs the Cincinnati Zoo who it cares more about animals than almost anybody else you'd ever meet, but he cares about people even more. I think and the, that's what matters. I think the only animal there was the parent who let their kid fall. There in. we go. That's, that's the, the take. The Harambe, Harambe, if you go back and watch that video, that gorilla was protecting that child. That's it was just like outrageous. It was like Congo is the good gorilla. Yes. That's just, it's a wild animal. Like Amy. It was, Amy, 100%. If you would have let Harambe do some sign language, yeah. he could have been like, no, parent call cps this child i need to protect chat came to instead 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 of letting him (laughs) instead of letting harambe do sign language they shot him and they killed him (laughs) instead of putting that parent in prison excuse me haven't you learned anything from the news in the last six months a hog killed the butcher a dog killed its owner 
Monkeys are throwing boulders at hikers, no. and you think that Harambe was going to do sign language? I, Dude, I think get out of here. I think Harambe was the last good one, and we started the war by killing him. Wow. And now all the animals are rising up, all the bad ones. Harambe was the last good one. This is the kind of soft on terror. And we killed him. This is the soft on terror. We killed him. We killed him, and now it's just yeah. It, now it's our fault. Now it's just KSMs you know and Osama bin Ladens of the animal kingdom <laughs> running around. <laughs> this is you his know, Bush did nine eleven. You know. <laughs> Exactly. You know what? what? You know what? It was the butcher's fault. It was the butcher's fault that the hog killed him. Yeah. He shouldn't have tried to kill the hog. I'm just saying you do a preemptive strike on Harambe, and this is what you get Harambe, all these years later. Harambe was about to murder a child. R- roses are red. Harambe's in heaven. Oh, you wanted the meme? You want to do the meme? Yeah. Roses are red. Harambe's in, in heaven. heaven. Bush had prior knowledge of 9-11. <laughs> <laughs> The, that's the meme. That's the meme. The best meme I like is is that still photo of Harambe holding the kid, and he was like, "Okay, kid, I don't have much time." There's this guy, Anthony Fauci. He's working on gain of function in a lab in China. <laughs> <laughs> before we move on, before we move on, can I talk just for a second about this traffic stop? Sure. I mean, I think all right. You pull some dude over, dude. This is like the best episode of Cops ever. I mean, you pull some dude over. He rolls the window down. He's like, can I help you, officer? And the officer's like, yeah, license and registration, please. And then you get a freaking like monster lion coming out of the window at you. And, and how do we not imagine. get more, more, more details on the driver? He's got a coked up serval. Like, the dude is clearly up to no good. Is this guy like the drug kingpin of Cincinnati? Well, it's, it's got to be a dead giveaway, right? Like, only somebody living the risky lifestyle of a drug dealer would have, would have a serval, <laughs> right? It's like a serval is, is, is probable cause that you're on cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> Just possession possession of this animal means you definitely have cocaine I mean, coursing through your veins. <laughs> Imagine the moment, you, like, you're the cop, you walk up. The guy rolls his window down. There's a goddamn serval riding shotgun. <laughs> right. Is there a problem, officer? <laughs> like, Everything seems normal here. It's like, be on your way, sir. <laughs> be on your way. But it, do, it says, you know, it doesn't say that the serval actually assaulted the officer. So he must have just sort of he knew. wanted to get he, out he, of He ditched the car off. This is just like an episode of Cops. He's like, I, what's up, man? They I got to release the video. They yeah. got to release the video. The body cam's got to be just awesome. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> oh, man, I love that. Okay. All right. Moving on, uh, this is according to the New York Post. A House panel is set to review Biden family's suspicious bank reports. Mm. Get them. Get them. House Oversight Committee staff on Wednesday will finally examine suspicious activity reports sent by the banks to the Treasury Department alerting of potential criminal activity involving President Biden's family. The committee's long-awaited review is expected to accelerate Republican Committee Chairman Jamie Comer's investigation into Joe Biden's links to ventures in places such as China, Russia, and Ukraine. Wow. <laughs> Oversight Committee staff will begin reviewing suspicious activity reports in camera at the Treasury Department Wednesday afternoon. So uh, yesterday afternoon. Amazing. And, and, and I'd say this is another thing that came out of the 2008 uh, uh, meltdown that we had in the banks a lot of this regulation got put in place for anti-money laundering. So, I mean, if it, it was if it wasn't obvious before, like you know, committing financial crimes is a very well. Stupid that's yeah. Idea. That's how it gets flagged, right? I mean, that's how they get caught. And like the fact that the tre- that's getting flagged. Yeah. 
means it's serious. Well, and that's the thing. Like, you know, I've known a lot of people who've worked at Treasury over the years. If you're doing international movements of large sums of money, <laughs> it better be on the up and up. Like, <laughs> just tell you, like it's going to China and Russia. <laughs> I mean, it's not like they'd miss those. You know, I mean, they're on there. I just so. think I think it would be the most delicious irony that Joe Biden tries to tax your Venmo transaction. Yeah, and this f- and this fucker and his entire family are moving millions of dollars across international bank accounts. Well, that's like how, how funny would that be? It would that's, be that's one hundred percent their ultimate irony. <laughs> that's the mo of the Dems now. It, it, it goes like the John Kerry thing of like, listen, everyone, you know, we want to take your stoves while John Kerry's flying around in his G six having a great time. It always is like, well, the peasants shouldn't be allowed to do this, but for us, yeah, we should be able to wire money, make money, however we want with China, with China and Russia. It's and and the fact that all these crimes that Hunter Biden that we know he's committed, that he himself has videotaped, smoking <laughs> crack, the Secret Service found his rental car with cocaine across the dashboard. Don't forget the feet. I mean, he, and he <laughs> you get, always bring up the feet. I'll never forget the feet. Don't Google it. Please don't Google and the, the feet. And the thing is, is that they've gotten him out of all these jams. But now the problem for him is it's going to be in black and white. The Treasury's got records and House Republicans are going to find so it. So here's what's interesting to me about the timing. Again, this is according to this New York Post piece. The Treasury Department allegedly stonewalled Comer's demands for access before relenting Monday and agreeing to allow the review. The Treasury Department was stonewalling until Monday. Okay, let's think back. What would happen Sunday night? Oh, oh, that's right. The Treasury Department backed SVB. Yeah. So all of a sudden, and I'm not saying there's a connection between the two, but I'm, what I'm saying is the Treasury Department all of a sudden needs the Hill. Yeah. They need Capitol Hill. And they know damn well they're going to be testifying a million times up there before every committee in Congress mm. because they're trying to figure out how to make this make sense and trying to get policy in place to deal with this bank situation. But you can't do that in the context of stonewalling on basic financial information dealing with the President of the United States because all of those hearings would just turn into an absolute circus. Right, that that is an excellent point that belongs in a newspaper. I mean, it really, really is a good point. And Mm. also, it's sort of the beauty of our founding fathers, I gotta say. We give... You know, politics is a shitty business, and there's a lot of stuff that sucks that happens in this town. Yeah. But it's great that we have a system with that checks and balances that forces people to actually do their job. Somewhat of accountability. Right. So the banks are required to submit SARs. I'm not sure exactly. Suspicious activity reports. Yeah. Okay, all right. Uh, uh, to the Treasury Department's Federal uh, Financial Crimes Enforcement Network within 30 days of identifying potential criminal activity, such as mon- money laundering. And t- that's what you were talking mm-hmm. about. Right, so they got all the stuff because if they don't report it, the government has the banks on the hook for being part of it. Yep, right. So the committee's review of the documents is likely to expose new de- details about the Biden family's international business ventures. Okay, okay, you know, I mean, look, it was a bit of a slow start, but I feel like we're starting to get into some things here, right? Yeah, isn't this the whole point? You know, everybody was dealing with all the nonsense, sort of like surface political discussions about hunter or about whatever the laptop and what have you but isn't the whole point the only thing that actually is extremely concerning as an american citizen that there could be like financial dealings with a now sitting president right who, who was for former vice president 
whose son was either dealing with directly well, says, or indirectly. It says right here in the article, it says Hunter Biden wrote that he paid as much as half of his income to his father. And he's currently under federal investigation by the U.S. Attorney's Office in Delaware for possible tax fraud, illegal foreign lobbying, money laundering, and lying about his drug use on a gun purchase form. I mean, like... See, I'm just telling you, like, this stuff is... It's... Now, nah, let's go a little bit, yeah. right? Well, and the beautiful thing about what we can do with this information is that every four years in this country, we have a regularly scheduled presidential election. We do. And for Republicans, the selection process to choose a nominee... To oppose Joe Biden starts in Iowa. Yes, it does indeed. And that is a perfect segue to our first guest, Senator Joni Ernst. I want to welcome to the program one of our absolute favorites. I think the last time we saw her in person was at the Iowa State Fair. Senator Joni Ernst, welcome to the program. Hey, it's great to be with you. I mean, Thank it's nice you. to see you in person here. It's always good. It this is. is so much fun. It is. It is a lot of fun. Uh, not as fun as a state fair, but... no. <laughs> no. Although I, I have a feeling my stomach will feel better tomorrow than <laughs> right. it did the day after that event. Right. Did you have deep fried butter? Oh, man. I did. You know what? I didn't have that. I think I knew better. But almost everything else we got down. I mean, that was a real trip. Oh, it's a great trip. I'm encouraging everybody. Big year at the Iowa State Fair. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, su I suppose you're just going to set up shop and welcome oh, people man. in. Oh, huh? man. Oh, absolutely. We've got a lot of presidential hopefuls that are yeah. cruising through Iowa now. But the epicenter will be the Iowa State Fair, where they can come out and get on a soapbox and talk to everybody. You know what my favorite thing, and you're the next in the line of a great tradition of significant uh, Iowa politicians who have figured out that you don't need to take sides in anything, but you just look like a concierge through <laughs> Iowa. Yes. Right? <laughs> like every single uh, candidate of any significance that's running for president has to go through Joni Ernst at some point, and she'll just sort of show you around. I love it. It's got to be great. It, it is so great. And and the wonderful thing is that so many of the hopefuls for 2024, I, I know many of them already, right. whether I've worked with them in the Senate or through some administration position, or I've gotten to know them casually in whatever roles they have in just general corporations or what what have yeah. you it's so much fun though um just to connect with them and the great thing about the iowa caucuses obviously chuck grassley and i stay neutral yep. so we get to meet everybody and just share information with them direct them to all the best restaurants or locations and engage a lot of our county parties as well yeah. you know if they're looking for a certain type of audience i'll be like well go talk to bob in such and such a county yeah you know and they well, can go it turns out county people. county could use new headquarters this year <laughs> right you know <laughs> it's great i'm telling you there's some of that too i love it there's a lot of that going on i love it well i mean you're gonna bring these big multi-million dollar campaigns into iowa <laughs> yes you know a little bit of iowa needs some some loving too yes and we call it political tourism right and and it's not a that we you know make a lot of money off of people although that's part of it there are uh campaigns that come in and set up shop in iowa and we love that yeah um but at the same time iowans are very well educated totally. on their politics and their candidates so they know expect who's the hard questions exactly yeah and they, they like to meet everybody in person uh, unimpressed by idiots 
Exactly. <laughs> if you're an idiot, they're going to let you know, too. So that's one thing about Iowans. They don't really hold back. Yeah. I love it. So we're expecting a big fair this year, right? Yes, very big fair. Uh, COVID slowed down the Iowa State Fair for, for a couple of years. But even last year, man, we saw people just pouring out. They are ready to be out and about. Yeah. Um, obviously, Iowa has been open, thanks to Governor Kim Reynolds. Yeah. Um, we We've been open for a very long time now, but people from other states are like, hey, we're still closed, yeah. so we're coming to Iowa. Yeah. And come on, folks, we'll have you. I love that. I love that. So I thought one of the things that we could do here is you could explain a little bit about the actual caucus system. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's unique, right? It and, is. I, and I think when people are looking at the early stages of a presidential election and they're looking at the early states they're looking at national polls at some point you know we got the des moines register poll in iowa but all of that needs to be contextualized into how you vote in iowa because i think we always lose sight a little bit at what national polls do and they reflect in early voting states because the method in which you vote is pretty important you got to have a big ground game you got to mm-hmm. figure out how to ingratiate yourself with the electorate on the ground, but nowhere in the world more so than Iowa because of this system. Absolutely. And this is where Democrats really messed up um, because they have seen a shift now away from Iowa. Republicans still do maintain the first in the nation caucus. So that is very important. We kick off the presidential season Mm -hmm. and the first voting will occur through what we call a caucus. It is not an official election it is a caucus and and the difference is that you have people that have registered as republicans across the state of iowa the candidates will come in they'll target the gop counties and visit with as many people as possible they'll hit all the pizza ranches out there um, just go where the people are and spend time with them and then when the caucus date rolls around um, then a caucus is a, basically a small gathering mm. and it'll be done it could be done in a person's home <laughs> it could be done at the local school it could be done at this a restaurant ranges in size right it ranges yeah. in size so like in adams county um i i live in montgomery county right next to adams county it's the least populated county in the state of iowa we have just a little over three thousand people that mm. reside in the county um they have several precincts uh but they may may meet at uh, mabel's house or <laughs> <laughs> a local, you know, auto body shop, you know, wherever it is within the precinct, yeah. they will meet there and they will have people speak in favor of whoever their presidential hopeful is. And, and if you've so, organized well, yes, you have a persuasive key team captain. Yes, here that is, absolutely. They're not just bringing their folks. They're trying to persuade people in this room because that's part are. of the process. They are. So think about this. We've got 99 counties in Iowa, and then how many precincts in all of those counties? The more populated areas, the urban centers, yeah. will have, uh, you know, you could have a hundred precincts right you come to montgomery county you may have seven across the county um but every precinct will have a a designated person that will speak in favor of their beloved candidate and if they are convincing 
they may get some of those other caucus goers to vote with them. So they actually do fill out a ballot, um, hopefully pre-printed with people's <laughs> names on it. Sometimes uh, you could just write down a candidate's name. We, we've become a little more sophisticated yeah, over here. In this, in this era. We, yeah, absolutely. We, yeah, exactly. um, but at the end of the night, then those uh, ballots are tallied by the party. It's done by the party again. Now, it's a it, caucus. It's not an election. Right. So the state right. doesn't administer the it. The state party doesn't does. do it. Right. Let me ask you this. I I think I remember because look, a lot of these caucuses work differently. They do. Um, mm-hmm. I think I remember in Iowa, it's not just simply everybody showing up and vote it. Isn't there a winnowing down process? That's the Democrats oh, they, process. Okay, that's the Democratic process. Yes. Well, no wonder so, they screwed it up. Right, they screwed it up. <laughs> uh, Republicans is very simple. You yeah. vote for one person, done. One person, one, <laughs> one vote. One person, done. Uh, that seems uh, like it's a It's total... <laughs> great. It's great. It works. It's why we're still first in the nation. Got it. Um, but the Democrats, yeah, I'll give you a little color there. So the Democrats, they do have a process of elimination. Yeah. And so you say, You've got uh, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren running and Pete Buttigieg and whoever else on down the line and Joe Biden, (laughs) Kamala Harris, right right down the line. Um, And then folks will they'll get up and they'll actually go stand in a group. Yeah, like in a corner of the room. Right. Somebody might hold up a Joe Biden sign and everybody that's for Joe Biden uh, will go hover around this sign. And there are certain percentages involved there. So you have to have a certain percentage. If you don't meet that percentage threshold, then you have to join another group. So they disband your group. They disband. You're done. Kamala Harris, you're done. (laughs) You folks have to go to another group. I'm pretty sure old Joe got disbanded, which is why... He's now moved the first of the nation caucus. Exactly. So uh, Kamala, I don't even know that she finished the Iowa uh, caucus process. <laughs> Joe there? Biden was very low. Um, a lot of other favorites. Pete Buttigieg was a favorite. Of course, Bernie Sanders was yeah. a favorite. Um, but yeah, they disband those little groups of people and you jump in with another group. And all of these people are shouting at you, vying, hey, come support Bernie, you know, free everything or, you know, whatever. And and, and then the Democrats have move, and finally they winnow down to the winner. Um, Which, so, I mean, it, it didn't work out for them at all. It didn't work out for them. And, they have Democrats know, administering this stuff, too, though. Yeah, like you said, do. it's not the state, it's the party. No, it is not the state. Would you trust those people party. counting your stuff? But the sad thing is, yes, exactly. <laughs> but the sad thing is that uh, way back in the day, uh, decades ago, in 1968 or so, it's when the National Democratic Party said, we need to form the caucus Mm -hmm. because at that point the party bosses were the ones that were determining who the candidates were going to be yeah so you really didn't have regular joe hard-working individual on the street picking a candidate so the national democrats decided we're going to do a caucus Mm -hmm. and we're going to establish it in iowa so that became the start of iowa's caucuses and it has endured through the years thick and thin or whatever but iowa they chose it because you have hard-working reasonable independent-minded people who get into it who get into it yeah very much so i mean there are a lot of states around the country that i've worked in where i don't care if you're caucusing or whatever the level of engagement is like yeah 
I mean, they're just they're just not into it. Right. In Iowa, everyone's into it. Oh my gosh! So I'll give you an example of this. So a few years back, Lindsey Graham was a presidential candidate. You know, it was a small campaign, yeah. but uh, Lindsey <laughs> flew in on his own uh, to Iowa, came into the Des Moines airport, went to the rental car place late at night he said it was late at night and there's a dude standing behind the counter at the rental car place and he's like hey you're lindsey graham grabs another car rental dude so these two car rental dudes are peppering lindsey graham like at midnight at the des moines airport about his stance on such and such and such i love that you know so much. every hard-working iowan pays attention to the candidates and what their positions are. And believe me, they share the word. So, you know, we're, it's just so ingrained in who we are. It's a great staging place yeah. and beginning for all of these oh, candidates. Oh, I love it. I love it's, it. It's magnificent. Do you think that there has been a residual backlash amongst Iowans from Democrats basically moving out? Yes, there I would is. Think, right? And honest to goodness, there has some has been some regret from yeah. the Iowa Democrats oh, because they imagine. did not yeah. fight hard enough they rolled over when joe biden said you know what i want more diversity in the population but uh, literally what he did he went to the states that supported him i was just gonna say he skipped over iowa skipped new hampshire let's go to south carolina exactly let's find the first state that voted for me wow yeah let's go to the state that supported me who cares about the population but really there has been some backlash because you don't have middle america represented now it's all the coastal states yeah yeah though the coastal well states. that's sort of the did today's democratic that's today's party. democratic party it really so is. uh Dem- national democrats gave middle america the middle finger they i've sure used did. it before but yep they gave us the middle <laughs> finger so yes iowa democrats a little bit of remorse there um they recognize that they won't now have the opportunity to meet and shape and influence yeah. some of these campaigns yeah well listen i think you've given us great tutorial on how we get involved yeah, here get involved everybody needs to go check it out if well, they haven't they need should. to go check it out it is fun whether it's the iowa caucus or your own state's primary get involved get involved yeah absolutely yeah um let's take national politics for a minute uh one thing i know you're deeply involved in is national security discussion global yes. events um obviously we've got the big debate over ukraine We've had all kinds of interpretations from the press uh, about, you know, what Ron DeSantis has said, what Donald Trump has said versus what Nikki Haley said. What's your take just in the party writ large about the Republican Party's view of how we interact, not only just with Ukraine, but with China and and just globally at this point absolutely and of of course i love our country so much uh and i believe that our number one priority should always be national security uh, we have to protect our nation in order for us to thrive uh, sometimes that does mean that we project forward and influence and shape things that are going on around the globe that might impact our national security. Uh, we are, as the United States, engaged everywhere around the globe in trade and various economies. And, and I think it's important that we understand the dynamics globally. So uh, just as I, I hear from and visit with some of the presidential hopefuls, 
I just want to be able to share my perspective yeah. with them on how important it is that America be the great convener. We need to show American leadership. I believe in America first. I always will. But that doesn't mean America alone. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to engage our partners, our friends, our allies, and again, be that great convener. Because when America leads other countries follow and so if we can stand up and be that strong leader we will have other nations that are willing to engage well particularly important for like iowa farmers and and, and the global markets are oh my everybody likes to think you could just sort of put walls up and you know be an isolationist but if you look at for america's agriculture community in particular it's really important that we have global it, relationships here. It is. And and I'll give an example um, where we need to focus. So Iowa does export, whether it's farm equipment, mm-hmm. whether it is commodities like soybeans or corn, pork, you name it. There is a lot of those soybeans, for example, that go to China. Mm-hmm. Um, so we are tied to china when it comes to trade but that doesn't mean we ignore china we have got to keep our eyeball on them and be very aggressive in standing up against them china is our pacing threat and Mm -hmm. we need to recognize that so we hear a lot of talk about decoupling from china where it makes sense absolutely anything that is national security related needs to come out of china you got it pharmaceutical I mean, you name it, rare earths. Uh, Mm -hmm. Let's stop dealing with China and mine our own, refine our own. You don't think we ought to mandate rare earths and then ban it from mining here? My gosh, (laughs) I am just, I can't figure this administration out. It's wild, right? You know, and the, the sad thing is that what rare earths we can mine here in the United States we actually ship them to China for oh, refining because we will not permit our own refining operations here in the United States of America. It's wild. So there are areas we need to totally disengage from China and get other partners and friends to disengage as well. But then there are things like, you know, a plastic widget that, you know, maybe goes in a kid's toy or something, whatever. As long as the Chinese haven't bugged it, I'm okay, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, but we do have trade that mm-hmm. we can engage in but national security related absolutely not yeah and it all seems sort of intertwined at this point there's no question about it what i love about Joni ernst here in this situation is that there's maybe one of the most powerful people in the world because all of these republican candidates mm-hmm. are going to come in and she's going to give them their little t- two cents on what you need to do to talk about stuff so if you can get her point of view right you probably get a lot of point of views from it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have a lot of time and opportunity uh, to study different situations. I do travel extensively for, for my job here yeah. in D.C., and I get to see a lot of different implications for the United States disengaging globally. Mm-hmm. And I, I'll just sum it up, just bottom line, Joni Ernst you know, human, soldier, mother. I just don't want to see a world where China and Russia and Iran are dominating us. Oh, here, yep. here. 
I've, you know, I've seen I've seen you say some of this stuff through your connection with the Bastion Institute. Yes, thank so you. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So I am engaged with a think tank organization. It is named the Bastion Institute because I do see the United States of America as that bastion. We are a fortress out there. And protecting our nation comes first. And in order to do that, we do need to project ourselves globally and be that leader America needs to lead. Mm-hmm. And this is where I, I am such a huge Ronald Reagan fan. And, you know, the Peace Through Strength initiative that Ronald Reagan have. If we can be strong, be that convener around the globe, show American leadership, our adversaries are less likely to engage forcefully. Mm-hmm. Um, we should show deterrence. We should build our military. We should be strong so that we're not perceived as weak and vulnerable. We saw with Afghanistan and how Joe Biden cowered from behind, allowed Afghanistan to fall. And as a consequence of that and not showing American leadership, now we have the repercussions of Russia invading Ukraine. We have the threat of repercussions with China eyeballing Taiwan. Um, And everybody's like, why does Taiwan matter? Everybody owns a cell phone, right? (laughs) Where are those chips coming from? Taiwan. If you want to see the end of the world as we know it, Mm -hmm. yeah, you allow the Chinese to take over those chip manufacturing facilities in Taiwan. The end of the world as we know it. Um, that's why it matters. Well said. Um, so there's there's a lot that we should be doing. So as the Bastion Institute, just what it stands for, again, American leadership. Mm. And just shaping and influencing the foreign policy discussion that exists out there and educating Americans on why it is important that America engage and not become that isolationist country that so often is the easy answer. Mm-hmm. It's a knee-jerk reaction. Well, let's just not engage. Yeah, nothing bad. Let's not engage. Nothing bad's going to (laughs) happen. Russia's just going to stop where they are. China's not going to invade Taiwan. That's not true. We know it's not true. Right. China's everywhere. Russia is everywhere. Russians are in South America. China's in South America. They're in space. They're developing nuclear capabilities. They're in every domain that we know. Cyber. We can't just back off and say they're not going to do anything to us. Yeah, right. Heck yeah, they are. Dick, of course. TikTok for crying out loud. Exactly. TikTok. Right? TikTok. <laughs> That's like sounds kind of like a time bomb waiting yeah. to go off. Kind of is. Kind of is. <laughs> it is. I love the defense but of it you. though. It's yeah, always so, it, this is really well done. Yeah. Thank you. So check it out. The Bastion Institute. I sat down with uh, Ambassador Nikki Haley last week. Oh yeah. I have a forum coming up this weekend with uh, former Vice President Mike Pence and Governor Larry Hogan. So, uh, of course, now Governor Hogan has said he's not running. Right. But he's still engaging, and that's okay. We engage a lot of thought leaders in this space. Well, they all got to run through you. All right, Senator, before we go... Uh, I mean, look, you're the first interview since the Hack Madness has been underway here. And I know you've seen your bracket. I have. And you studied it a little bit. <laughs> and I know, I mean, look, there's at least a third of those people you have to see in the hallway. <laughs> I have dealt. I mean, I've worked with a number of these people. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. That's very, very. Sorry, maybe dealt with them. I don't, I don't know. It's okay. polite. It's You're a very polite, polite Midwestern. I, no, they're all people. Yeah. So, all right. So let's just, let, let's skip the, go right to the final four. Okay. Final four, I came up with Don Lemon and yeah. uh, Schmidt. Oh, so, Steve Schmidt. Yeah, okay. Steve Schmidt. Wow. And so we narrowed, uh, so they're they're in the uh, one bracket, and then the other two are Behar and Reed. <laughs> Joy Behar both, and Joy Reed. Both, um, of course, uh, favorite television hosts. Um, and then, so I narrowed it down in, in Lemon versus Schmidt. Then I came up with Don Lemon. Yeah, yeah. he's had a good, a big because, year. Because, you know, I'm older than Nikki Haley. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so I guess I'm way out of my prime. <laughs> Um, thanks, Don Lemon. Um, I, I actually asked somebody the other day, I said, dang, Joe Biden's like 80 years old. What's, what's Don Lemon think about Joe Biden? He must be way out of prime. prime I don't know. prime left town a while ago. So, uh, so, yeah, Don Lemon, you're my winner there. <laughs> Thank you. You're way out of your prime, too. And then uh, between Behar and Reed, I had Behar yes. as the winner. And then, so you pair up Don Lemon against Joy Behar. Who's taking it? I am a huge supporter of women. So I'm going to say I'm going to promote Joy Behar here. As she the is winner. the winner of Hack Madness. Wow. <laughs> you heard it be, here first. That would be and, a shocker. And yeah, she was way under. Yeah. Way under. But again, I, I do like to support women. I think it's important to support women. <laughs> I'm sure so she feels that I'm, deeply. I'm promoting women today. It's so very thanks thoughtful. for being our, our hack on today's <laughs> Hack Madness. <laughs> our resident feminist, Senator Tony Hurts. Thank you for your picks. Oh, you betcha. It's so much fun. Everybody, fill out your Hack Madness. Yes, I love it. Yeah, your spreadsheet here. Get the bracket narrowed down. We'll do love it. it. Uh, we already asked you the, the three questions last time, so we have one addendum question. Oh, my. Question. Oh, gosh. There's one okay. addendum question. I'm sweating. You know we're a little bit of an animal fighting <laughs> podcast. Oh, yes. So I've heard. So, I've heard. Yeah. I'm sorry, a horse? I don't know. That's Smug's deal, right? <laughs> He's the only one that thinks he can do it, but he does. But that's the question is essentially, what do you think the biggest animal is you can take down? Okay, uh, well, I've already shown that I can take on pigs. Yes. So, uh, and that's the two-legged and four-legged variety. Pigs are not. (laughs) (laughs) So good. um, They're not not small animals. And they are not. Nasty, nasty animals. Have you seen the big boar? Yeah, at the yeah. state fair. It's, yeah, we yeah we did. Yeah, we filmed it quite extensively. Oh my gosh, we, yeah, that's that's quite amusing. It is. Uh, so, it is. We got so, a lot of. So I'm gonna stick. I'm gonna stick with the hogs right now because that's what I. That's know. a real thing. I can do it, and it is a real thing. Yeah. I don't. I've already proven that. I proved my, to my dad, my mom, <laughs> little Joni Ernst can take a scalpel. Yeah. So my sister and I did tag team though, because one would hold and the other would cut. So, sorry guys. I know you guys are cringing. It's like, yuck. This is, this is um, fantastic. Exactly. These, they, are, they are very aggressive, dangerous animals. They are animals. very aggressive. You, I mean, you, that cannot be emphasized enough. It's, oh. it's a dangerous job. So, um, you know, if you are going... Now, hog farming today is a lot different than when I was a kid. <laughs> you know, we would turn the hogs loose in a in a 
pen or a yard, kind of a yard yeah. area, fenced-in yard area. Um, a lot today are, are housed in confinement operations. But, you know, as farm kids, we just walk wherever. And so we climb over the fences and cut through the hog lots. And so if there is a mama sow out there with her piglets, man, oh, she's gonna come you, you better be careful. Do not go messing with those piglets because that mama sow is going to rip after you. <laughs> and they are large animals. <laughs> it, yeah, that is a very scary thing. And even scarier, don't mess with the boar either. Uh, but, I love oh, this. Man. Well, we've had a lot of questions on the program about how to deal with hogs. We have. Now we got it. We, yeah, this is this is the right method. Yes, the first call absolutely. goes to Joni Ernst, and then we'll get yeah. directives from don't, there. Don't pick a piglet up by its stomach, you know, like you pick up a cat or something. You have to grab them by the hind leg. Really? Yeah. Okay. They won't squeal as much. Much easier. <laughs> much easier. Great information. Great information. Listen, Senator Joni Ernst, we thank you so much for all you're doing. It's great to be here with you you're welcome so anytime thanks to the fellas for having me in today you got Appreciate it. And, it and we'll see you in iowa in see you at the state yeah. fair can't i wait. love it can't wait with a motorcycle motorcycle make an appearance i may make an appearance on the motorcycle yeah. oh, so yeah. i've got my roast and ride coming up too in june and the presidential hopefuls will be there too oh yeah we'll see who rides a motorcycle with me yes True you're gonna tab. have to keep tabs on that's that. right <laughs> <laughs> i love it thank you thanks everyone she is just the best. I, I, I literally cannot wait until this summer at the Iowa Fair. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that more than like anything this year. She's just, you know, what a breath of fresh air. And I love, like I was saying to her, I love the concierge style politician work in Iowa. Yeah. Like they never take a position on who should win anything. They never endorse, but they're always like, come on, let me show you. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like... Well, you know, the the county the county needs a little bit of work and maybe a new building. So if we couldn't maybe do some kind of a fundraiser while you're here, that would help. <laughs> People are like, yeah, sure. I guess I'll do that. They just like force these guys into raising money That's for everything. Great. It's so good. I love it. Um, all right. This is a story that will just absolutely send you to the moon. We've covered it before, but it's actually there's like a, a piece of new uh, development here uh, according to Axios San Fran reparations update yeah a, <laughs> a reparations plan in San Francisco that includes a one-time five million dollar lump sum payment to each eligible black person had its first public hearing before city officials Tuesday with dozens of members of the public calling for the proposal's adoption <laughs> Following more than five-hour hearing, San Francisco's Board of Supervisors unanimously adopted the resolution Amazing. late Tuesday night, accepting a draft plan of the African-American Reparations Advisory Committee. Wow. This is really something, guys. This is really something. And, and I remember when we had our appearance on Megyn Kelly's show, when she brought up that, like, Angela Davis, you know, famous... Uh, Black Panther revolutionary yeah, went on that show of, of where they look at your DNA. She's related to Mayflower. Yeah, she her, her ancestors uh, came over on the Mayflower. Yeah, and yeah, they did the oppressing. <laughs> according, according to her, it's incredible. It's incredible, and especially for a city that clearly has no idea what they're doing, has so many problems on their hand. Yeah, and is constantly losing people who are moving out and being just throwing their hands at me like I can't deal with this. Like it's 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 lawlessness. Like, five no, mil bone is also unbelievable. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Five million dollars 
for what because because of one's race i i have i have an idea for san francisco i think they should take that five million for every african-american in san francisco just go ahead and deposit it in silicon valley bank (laughs) (laughs) sure 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 it'll be real safe there this this line is incredible says since the plans released city officials and others have wondered how feasible the five million dollar payments would be the city, for example, has a projected budget <laughs> deficit of $728 million. Amazing. From July through June 20th. Amazing. Oh, solutions? We don't need solutions. Let's just adopt it and see what happens. I mean, that's basically how their banking has worked. I mean, it's a failed state. California is a failed state. We will be greeted as liberators. We need to go there and we need to dethrone these people. <laughs> Somebody they needs cannot to govern themselves. The experiment of self-governance in California has failed. <laughs> In case, in case your math skills are not as quick as uh, comfortably smugs, a $728 million deficit means that at $5 million bucks, they're able to cover about 145 people. And they're in the 145 in the people in the red. Within the, within the, just within their deficit. <laughs> 145 people. And I'll just tell you, to be eligible for the reparations, a person would need to be at least 18 years old and have identified, identified, identified. as black or African-American on public documents for at least 10 years. Wow. So like that Rachel Solzeal gal? Yeah. That, yeah. Remember she ran like the some part of the ACLU? Right. Uh, and you remember the story? Right? Oh, yeah. And then she was outed as like being a white suburban, right. suburban like Connecticut resident. I mean, like, given that how many, like, you heard so many stories of, like, COVID scans of people, like, you know, getting those loans. Imagine what it's going to be like when $5 million is on the line. It's, uh, it, this is no thinking, no thought is I put th- I think it was more than 10 years ago when Justin Trudeau dressed up in blackface. <laughs> I think it was more than 10 years ago when Jimmy Kimmel did the same thing. Yeah, they should try to put in a yes. request for See five. if they can't get the five <laughs> mil bone. Like, I have attached photo. <laughs> attached a photo so good all right so uh this last one here fear the weed now we we had talked about this because we weren't exactly clear on what this is but it turns out this is actually a real problem according to the hill giant seaweed blob twice the width of the united states takes aim at florida uh, marine scientists are tracking a five thousand mile wide seaweed bloom that is so large it can be seen from space. These sargossum, mm-hmm. sargossum blossoms, are nothing <laughs> new. But scientists say <laughs> a sargossum blossom. Well, I just think we take it to Outback and deep fry it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Scientists say this one could be the largest in history. At last checked, it was heading towards Florida's Gulf Coast. The thick mat of algae drifts between the Atlantic coast and the Africa and the Gulf of Mexico, providing habitat for marine life absorbing carbon dioxide but can also wreak havoc when it gets closer to shore it blocks light from reaching coral and negatively impacts air and water quality as it decomposes um we pretty much have to go to war with this thing don't we that was my first thought is we can send submarines you can send submarines. You blow this thing up. Why? It's twice the width of the U.S. You can't miss. Why do we need to take some? Let's just take every vegetarian out there, and they can eat it. <laughs> we'll just drag the sucker to California. We'll right. take care of the whole thing. <laughs> We're all set. Although, why would they agree to eat it? It's 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 getting rid of the CO two. I thought that was good for climate change. Oh, that's right. Maybe the whole co- climate can be changed. We'll just make more algae blooms. 
But you got to feel bad for Florida. You know, they're already dealing with things like red tide, and they got this bearing down on them. That sucks. I mean, just the size of it just is mind-boggling. 5,000 miles wide. Yeah, they say that the thing is a, it has a gas, this hydrogen sulfide that uh, comes out as it rots, uh, which can cause respiratory problems Jeez. for tourists, residents, and anyone who works close to the you water. You got to hit with the submarine. I think you got <laughs> to take this thing out, 100%. don't you? Let's nuke nuke the seaweed. Nuke the seaweed. <laughs> yeah, that, that'll be that'll be great for the coral. <laughs> nuke the seaweed. Listen, you got to fight it over there, so you don't have to fight it over here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, all right. Let's go to our final interview. This is Dave McCormick. Well, you've heard him here before. Uh, he's a decorated veteran, a successful businessman, a former, and I personally hope future candidate uh for senate from the great state of pennsylvania but he's here today to talk about how he's now an author of a great new book coming out superpower in peril dave mccormick how are you sir good to see you thanks for having me josh appreciate it yeah listen were you just sort of sitting around the house the last few months and you're like you know what, why don't i just polish <laughs> off a, a guide on how to uh get america back on its feet save america <laughs> You know, this was uh, this was a, a something I started a couple of years ago. Uh, I uh, I had been thinking. I'd written a couple articles, and I'd been thinking that the country's really heading in the wrong direction, and that uh, we needed a clear vision and good ideas uh, to take America forward. And, and it was the very same reason I ran for the Senate. So I had about seventy percent of it done before I ran for the Senate, and then uh, sadly, I had a little free time after the Senate race. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> finished it up, and I had some good. You know, good stories from the campaign trail that really reinforced the challenges we have, but also the opportunities. And so that's how the book, where the book came from. And, you know, in, in 30 seconds or less, it's essentially a plan to renew the country. You know, de decline is not inevitable, but neither is renewal. It depends on what we do. And so it's a plan to educate our people, a plan to confront China, a plan to secure America. And, uh, and that's what the book's all about. Yeah, I noticed in, in skimming through here, I noticed that there's an awful lot of familiar refrains from the McCormick <clears throat> that I uh, and a lot of people across Pennsylvania got to know over the last year. And, and I'm curious, you know, you started this before the campaign. How much of the texture of this book was either reaffirmed or, or you know, sort of otherwise elevated by your candidacy? You know, it was definitely uh, reaffirmed, uh, and it made it much more tangible for me. So we are talking about sovereign borders and the need to secure our borders. And then you meet a woman in Cambria County who lost a son to fentanyl, uh, and it, it gets your attention. And then, you, then from that point forward, every place I'd go, I'd say, hey, who knows someone that was affected by a fentanyl, you know, lost a family member or a friend? Hands went up everywhere. And so it, it reinforced it. When you talk about, particularly in these rural towns of Pennsylvania, you talk about two decades of war and, uh, and what you know, Americans are feeling about that, the, the, the burden that placed on, on American, uh, American families. And you get in these rural parts of Pennsylvania and you ask that same question, you know, there's somebody in that room who's been affected uh, by the war in Iraq and lost someone or someone disabled or, uh, or, or something that someone is suffering with PTSD. And you don't have that necessarily, sadly, in the corridors of Washington or, uh, or in New York City. And so it made it all very tangible to me. And it made, honestly, it made the idea of running 
much more inspiring to me. It was uh, it was absolutely uh, an honor to do it, a, a privilege. We we enjoyed every minute of it, and uh, and it was those experiences that said, "Hey, this is worth it." And the country really is in peril, and we need to do something about it. Th- therefore, the book. Yeah, well, it's it's fascinating because your background. First of all, it it it's impossible to give you an introduction because you've got so many different phases of your of your life that are are sort of unique in and of themselves. Obviously, obviously, a decorated combat veteran, you were amongst the first troops in in the Gulf War. I imagine that probably has a formative aspect of one component of the book. You're a administration official on one hand. I'm sure that has a a ton of of oversight and how you actually could implement a renewal. And then, you know, you're a successful businessman. You know how the the capitalist side of this country works too. And a candidate, it all kind of comes together and blends together like a like an interesting sort of tapestry. Yeah, you know, I tried uh explicitly not to write an autobiography. I, I tried to write a policy book, but then uh, I used the experiences I've had throughout my life to try to give it credibility. So when I talk about innovation and creating jobs, I talk about the the company I ran in Pittsburgh that created 600 jobs. That was really a cutting edge software company. And the the Pittsburgh Renaissance is an example. When I talk about America's superpower, it's military capability. I talk about, you know, the the day of the invasion uh, into Iraq. And when I talk about uh, globalization and what it means to American workers, I talk about the McGee carpet mill which was in my hometown. And I remember in the seventies when they was laying, they were laying off folks, uh, some of my, uh, uh, the fathers of my friends. And I remember then, you know, picking up summer jobs and sometimes I'd be working next to the fathers who got laid off. That'd be trying to pick up a couple extra bucks, bailing hay or trimming Christmas trees. So I, I try to use all that to give it credibility. But the, but the funny thing you say there is, you know, this great career, and, uh, and it, when people describe it, it's, they describe it like a straight line where everything just yeah. was going up. And I also try to show in the, the book that it wasn't that way at all. Uh, you know, I had lots of failures. I got fired from, a, from a, a, my job at Bridgewater early on and then, then came back later to be the CEO. And uh, there's a funny family story but because, you know, I left the Army after five years and my dad was absolutely horrified because I missed 15 more years I would have had a pension. And uh, he just could not get over it. And then I went to graduate. Uh, then I traveled for a year around the world. I talk about this in the book. I traveled to Asia. I traveled to China uh, with a backpack and ran the rode the trains. Uh, I'm sure uh, that didn't. I'm sure China. that didn't quell his anxiety so, at all. <laughs> didn't quell his anxiety. And then I went to grad school and I thought I was going to be a professor. And I figured out I, I couldn't be a professor. So my father, my brother, was a straight arrow, straight A's, the whole thing. And my father would get on the phone with my brother Sunday nights and say, and, and by the way, I was dating a hippie. Uh, I was dating a hippie just to add to add to the whole thing. So my brother would get on the phone with my dad on Sunday nights and they'd say, what are we going to do about old Dave? Dave is, is aimless. He's aimless. And it wasn't until, I don't know, 35 or 40 that my dad said, well, maybe it's going to work out okay after all. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Well, it, when it took off, it certainly took off well for you but you know i yeah. i think that's right it gives you the perspective not only in your experience as a senate candidate to put to put together a book like this right because it's one thing you know you get an awful lot of this left and right from people who just sort of 
project their ideas that have never been real really lived and and certainly not experienced in a meaningful way and it, you know it reads like a textbook basically this is not that this is yeah. this is something that comes from the experience of actually living these stories yeah well i, I try i tried to make it that way and you know i tried to if you think about changing the direction of the country well you have to do a couple things uh, you have to win elections, <laughs> which sadly I did not, but you have to win elections, which means you have to have great candidates who win elections. But on top of that, you have to have ideas. And you can't put your ideas into force unless you win elections and have the opportunity to do so uh, in our democracy. And, and so I talk about, you know, it's a policy book, but I talk about leadership and the kind of leadership we need to transform America. I talk about the leadership we need to, you know, really fix our institutions because, you know, there's a progressive woke ideology that's capturing our schools and our military and our business leaders, and we need to fight back on that. And I also talk about the attributes uh, from my experience that are necessary to be a good leader. Often these I've observed in others, not necessarily those I've always practiced myself. And the one that I highlight over and over again, and I think it's essential for all leaders, but particularly leaders in public life, is humility. Because uh, you have to be able to draw on the wisdom of others mm -hmm. and uh, to make good decisions because you can't possibly be wise enough to make those choices all on your own. And you have to be able to, you know, come off the mat from failure uh, and learn and grow and move forward because who, uh, who in political life hasn't failed? I don't just mean losing elections, but I mean, you know, uh, not getting their policies through, not being able to drive uh, drive an agenda. And so uh, I hope for some who read the book, they'll find it, you know, a very good, thoughtful policy book. I hope they'll find it uh, an interesting uh, read, but I also hope they'll see it as a leadership book because if you can point your finger to one thing we need, it's leaders uh, who can find the path forward for America. Yeah, no, I mean, look, it's really well said. And the humility aspect, I'm glad you highlighted that because, I look, I think that's one of the most important traits that you can come up with in a leader of any sector, but certainly somebody in the political sphere. If you haven't failed, man, you haven't tried and you certainly haven't accomplished right. much of anything. And I, I think your your career has been a testament to overcoming those obstacles and trying new things. You know, I mean, look, the, the funny thing, I think the last time we talked when you were a Senate candidate i was like all right so this guy goes from being ceo of this big firm he's got you know basically could do whatever the hell it is that he wants to do he's got a beautiful wife great family and now he's just decided he's going to throw himself at the whims of par partisan politics because he feels like it like i right. wonder if all of his if he's got everything screwed together correctly but you know <laughs> you, you aren't the only one who asked that question so <laughs> so did dina dina had a similar inquiry <laughs> I imagine she did, right? I mean, she yeah. certainly is, has seen it uh, from the inside and knew what she was getting and you were getting into as a result of it. But, you know, I, I got to think that much of your life here as you've, as you've put into detail on this plan are things that you think can be executed upon. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I'm, I'm a, you know, the book has this ominous cover. It's red and it says, you know, superpower and peril. So it's a dark opening. And then people read the book and they say, this book is so optimistic. And um, how, you know, how could that be? And the reason I'm so optimistic about uh, our future is this is the American story. We get to the edge of the cliff 
and we pull ourselves back. We get to the edge of the cliff and we pull ourselves back. And, you know, it's a, it's the, it's a, it's a very imperfect, chaotic form of, of government and governance, which is also better than anybody else's. You know, that's the unique thing about America. And the reason I have such confidence in it is uh, not only the life I've lived, the privilege uh, of the life I've I've lived, but also because I lived through decline and renewal. And I tell this story in the book about uh, the late 70s. And it was uh, double-digit stagflation. You know, the economy was uh, in the doldrums. Um, You had um, uh, gas prices went through the roof and and there were odd days and even days. You're too young to remember this. There were odd days and even days at the gas station. You'd have to go on your day to get gas. And I remember sitting in the line and um, uh, my uh, dad had one of those uh, wood-sided station wagons. It was like a half a block long. And we'd sit Ford station wagon and we'd sit in the gas line and wait for gas. And and that was when Desert One happened, the attempt to rescue the Iranian hostages. Yes. Yes. We lost uh, eight, eight soldier sailors and airmen in a, in a terrible, humiliating defeat, just not unlike Afghanistan at this moment. And so uh, at that time, the majority of Americans under, under the Carter administration, the latter years, thought the country was heading in the wrong direction. And that was probably, I don't know, four, 14, 15 at the time. So four years later, in 1983, I'm at West Point. I'm a plebe. I'm walking down those you know beautiful walkways in the midst of these incredible mountains and this historical place and America's back. It's morning in America. Four years later, yeah. 80% of Americans thought the country was headed in the wrong direction. Four years later, it's morning in America. And um, I think we're at a similar moment. 80% of Americans feel like the country's headed in the wrong direction. And I think with good reason. And I think with the right kind of leadership, the right ideas, Good candidates that can win elections and good ideas to take the country in the right uh, in the right direction. I, you know, I'm optimistic, and you know, I'm not an expert. I'm not a political pundit, so I, I don't I don't know what's going to work and what's not going to work. The thing I know is Pennsylvania. I've just spent a lot of time uh, in Pennsylvania. And I believe to my core that people want to look forward. They don't want to look backwards. They want to talk about grievances. They want to talk about the future and who can take them there. And that's what uh, that's what I try to highlight in this book. Well, there's no question about that. And I agree with your assessment about people looking to to look forward. I mean, at this point, you look at the right track, wrong track, as you made mention of, of, of where people think this country is going, it's decisively in the wrong direction. And so if you needed any more evidence to suggest people are eager to talk about a different future, it's it's that. And you know, look, you've also sort of put your money where your mouth is here, and and we've made reference to your your candidacy. And I know that couldn't have been an easy decision. And I know ultimately it was probably disappointing in in the way that you did it. But I also have to imagine as evidenced by this book and everything else, you took a lot of important lessons away from it. Yeah, I learned a lot. I mean, when you you lose, I think there's 1.4 million votes cast in the primary and I lost by 900. And so when you lose by 900, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things you could say, oh, if I had done that a little bit differently. So, um, so there's certainly some learning of that type. But the, but the biggest thing I learned was, you know, just how privileged, how privileged we are to be Americans. You know, there's this great line by William F. Buckley that says citizenship, the great, you know, the great conservative citizenship is a privilege. American citizenship is a privilege, but it's also a responsibility. And the thing I felt on the campaign trail 
was just the re- reaffirmation of uh, you know of of the obligation we all have to do our part. And you know, I spent I'm 57, so I spent more than 30 years in Pennsylvania growing up, and then coming back and running a business there. And I spent another 15 years in public service in the military and in uh, and in the government. I'm and and then I was out of Pennsylvania for for a few years. But but the whole thing brought back my love for Pennsylvania. How much I appreciate uh, the people on the campaign trail. How how resilient they are. Um, how much they believe in a better future. And so it gave me a lot of confidence in our country. And uh, you know, p- politics is messy and hard. But uh, but big picture, it's a it's a pretty amazing, exceptional uh, America that we live in. And uh, and when you get on the campaign trail, you see it. Well, it, for the benefit of our our audience who spent much of the fall focused on Pennsylvania and ultimately were initially heartbroken and then incredibly angry about the the final results of that general election and now you know really Pennsylvania doesn't have one of their senators basically for reasons that were all right. plainly clear uh before the election yeah. there was there was an awful lot of talk uh in Pennsylvania and I've got family my wife's family's from there uh, a little bit of buyer's remorse and hoping and wishing that they had a Dave McCormick to get that thing over the finish line. And so, you know, subsequently now they're going through all this and there's an awful lot of people wondering whether you're, you're still interested in, in serving. And uh, so I'll just put it out there. Is that something you're still considering? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, it's the first time in 76 years, 76 years that Pennsylvania has had two Democrat senators, 76 years. So this, the people of Pennsylvania, I think, deserve better. They deserved, uh, they deserve better. And, um, and you know, I, when I conceded the election, I said, hey, I'm, I'm sticking around. You know, I have a family farm here. My mom and dad are here. We, Dean and I have a home in Pittsburgh. You know, we're, we're not going anywhere just because we lost. <clears throat> the motivation to serve uh, Pennsylvania and the country hasn't gone away either. And so the question we're asking is, you know, how best to do that? Uh, there's lots of ways to serve, lots of ways to make a contribution, and certainly running for the Senate again is one possibility. So we're thinking about that. We're praying about it uh, right now, trying to get this book out there and you know get people reading it, and hopefully uh, well, I'll get a good response on that. And then you know sometime later this year we'll we'll probably decide whether we're gonna you know make a run at it or not. And it's you know it's a big decision, a family decision, and you have to sort of feel like I've always had faith, <clears throat> faith in you know faith in God, faith in. And the things work out for a reason. So when one door closes, others open. So um, you know, we'll see which door opens uh, ahead. But uh, certainly thinking about running is one possibility. Well, you'd be a terrific candidate from my standpoint. And I know this for certain. After looking at this book, there's absolutely nobody who's going to ask the question, what it is that you stand for, Dave. I feel like you've laid yeah. that out in technicolor at this point. So the, the white paper and the and the tab on the website is probably <laughs> unnecessary at this yeah. point. Which is, we'll, give a, we'll give the other side the oppo research. Here's the book. You can read for yourself. Well, you know, that, that was one piece of, I, I, as I said, I love the campaigning. But the thing that is hard about campaigning, and you, you've known this because you've spent a life in uh, politics, is first of all, you only get 30 seconds. Yeah. That's why I appreciate this, this, this form of podcast because I can, I can take a minute or two. But, but the thing about a book is you get to really talk about what you believe and, um, and give it context and so forth. So I really uh, appreciated the opportunity to, to do that. The other thing that's hard about a campaign is you're talking about yourself all the time and say, hey, you know, vote for me and uh, talking about how great you are and all of that. And in this book, I try to obviously put 
myself out there. My story is someone who I think has a lot to offer, but I also try to show all the warts and the blemishes and I try to, you know, not be self-aggrandizing and I try to just tell it, tell it the way it is. And, um, I think people appreciate that. If you know that you ask about lessons learned, that would maybe be the other lesson learned is that you know you got to be authentic uh, because the pressure cooker of a campaign, you're you're put in so many different contexts. If you're trying to be somebody you're not, it's very difficult to to maintain that. And if you can just be you, uh, whether you whether you works or not remains to be seen. But if you can just be you, I think it makes the process of running for office a lot more enjoyable, a lot more fun. Well, no question about that. What are they, what's the old saying? Uh, the most important thing in politics is authenticity. And once you learn to fake that, you've got it made. <laughs> I like it. I like it. You can get a radio show or something. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen. So the last thing I want—I want to know—I want to know what you've been up to. You know, because you've been writing this book. I know that's probably taking an awful lot of your time. But you, as you said, you stuck around Pennsylvania. I got to imagine Dina wants you out of the house. You've been sort oh, of no nonsense. <laughs> you got no idea. Well, for, you know, for many months, I've, 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 I've noticed that uh, despite all I said about humility, I've noticed that now that I'm not working, I have wisdom and advice to give to everybody, my kids, my wife, you know, I'm, I'm, I find myself dispensing advice, which, which is not, uh, not necessarily welcome uh, by everyone. Uh, you know, I'm writing the book with something, you know, being in those, uh, being on the campaign trail had lots of wonderful things, but, you know, eating eight meals a day and diners and, uh, you know, VFWs and fire halls. So, you know, I've had a chance to get back in shape and, uh, you know, we're doing a lot of work on our family farm and booms. We're building a new house with my, my mom and dad. So lots of fun stuff, lots of time with kids and, uh, you know, trying to think about what's next. Yeah, I, I, I've found from personal experience, there's absolutely nothing a spouse likes more than unsolicited advice. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, I, it's been welcomed. It's been welcomed. We'll get, you should get her on the show. She can yeah. do a whole 20 minutes on getting, getting me back to work. That's actually a job. decent. I, that's actually a decent <laughs> idea. Next time you come on, let's bring Dina on. I want the full flavor of of the night. You'll get it. You'll, she'll now. give you the full Monty. She'll <laughs> give you the full Monty of of uh, the need for me to get back to work. I love it. I love it. Well, listen, Dave McCormick. The book is Superpower in Peril. Uh, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Good luck with the book. Stay in touch. Obviously, we're incredibly interested not only this book but in your your future and and how you're going to continue to help this country hey thanks for having me always always fun to be with you take care look smart guys got an incredibly compelling story i hope he runs for senate i think he's probably our best chance at taking pennsylvania uh not sure who else is is running there yet if he's running or who's running but i know he's a hell of a candidate last time around came up just a touch short uh, of Dr. Oz. Remember, President Trump endorsed Oz in right. that race and uh, put him over the top by just a fraction. I mean, he won by like nothing over McCormick. Uh, so he's, you know, he's poised in position. And with a story like that, if he tells that story, uh, boy, it's hard not to see how he's a good candidate next time around. Well, great episode, guys. I think we did it. Yeah. What a week. Yeah, what a week. Three episodes. Don't forget about Hack Madness, folks. Thank you so much for listening. An absolute banger of an episode, gentlemen, if I may say so myself. So, until next time, minions, keep the faith, hold the line, and own the libs. 
We'll see you on Tuesday. Stay ruthless.